0: Broadcasting live from the Business Radio X studios in Midtown Atlanta, it's time for Health Connect South Radio. Now here's your host, C.W. Hall. Hello, everyone. It's C.W. Thank you for checking out the Health Connect South Radio show. On this week's episode, I sat down with Dana Austin. She's the CEO and founder of Austin Clinical Research Professionals. I met Dana at the Small Business Expo back in December. And as we talked about the work she and her team were doing, supporting clinical research trials on a number of subjects like hypertension, diabetes, and some others, I knew we needed to make the healthcare community aware of them and what they're doing. The Austin Clinical Research Professionals provide technologists and researchers to conduct trials or to provide additional personnel to support a study that's in progress. And Dana is also a certified monitor. So she's able to provide credible monitoring services and oversight for trials underway. The company also offers online CEU training for research professionals who are looking to maintain their credentials. Here's Dana talking about the company and her move away from a career in cardiology nursing to focusing on facilitating clinical trials. Check it out.
1: Austin Clinical Research Professionals, we've been in business since 2011. We conduct clinical trials, mainly focusing on a population who's affected greatly by hypertension and diabetes, which is just plaguing our nation. And so we provide access to clinical trials where patients can participate, get free medical care, free access to follow-up and medication for their disease management. So we saw a huge spike in our enrollments in these type of clinical trials during the time of ramping up of the Obamacare because many people didn't have health care. And you didn't realize until they came in to see you and they said, well, I haven't seen a doctor in two years. And then here they are. We were able to offer them participation and clinical trials to help them manage their care.
0: You were working in nursing in the hospital. Now, how did you end up moving into the research <laughs> side of things?
1: Oh, my. I was working at Emory Midtown with the cardiologist, Dr. Doug Morris, who was actually chief of cardiology. And he was conducting a lot of clinical trials and I was working in the coronary care unit, CCU. And so naturally he would approach some of his patients that seemed like they would be ideal candidates and benefit from participating in the clinical studies. So that was my first exposure in a clinical setting. Of course, I went to um, Emory University, so we had training and research there too. So that was my first exposure and I really liked it. And I kind of moved from that role to becoming a study coordinator with him, doing the same thing, but directly with the patients and the staff. And training has always been a big element of what I do across the line in my entire career. So that's how I got into it. And then, you know, research has so many different facets to it that clinical research organizations such as Quintiles or PPD or PRA International, they hire monitors to go out and to look at the data. And that's important because participating in the study is one thing, but keeping the patient safe is always going to be the top focus. Mm -hmm. So clinical research associates, monitoring the data, that's one way of keeping the patient safe. Um, Having an ethics committee, an independent review board that actually reviews the protocol and the changes to be sure that the patient is safe. And also, of course, the FDA, and good clinical practices. Those are some measures by which patients' um, safety is ensured. Stick around. I got the full interview with Dana Austin coming up next.
0: Good morning, everyone. It is C.W. Hall, your host here on the Health Connect South radio show. And I am very pleased to be introducing you today to Dana Austin. She is the CEO and founder of a company called Austin Clinical Research Professionals. And I happen to have met her by accident. We were just talking about this (laughs) just before we went on the air today at the recent Small Business Expo, got to talking, did a short interview there and said, hey, you need to come on the Health Connect South radio show. And If you're not familiar with Health Connect South, Dana, beyond what I was talking about and for the folks out there as well. Health Connect South is all about identifying healthcare assets in the community, whether that's A research facility, or academic research organization, or device company that is creating a solution that's going to help a population. Whatever the case may be, very often these organizations end up operating in a silo. They're doing their thing. Mm -hmm. They're they're all about that and what they're trying to achieve. And perhaps there around the corner is an entity that's either logistics or whatever the case may be. They they would have a solution or capacity of some sort that if they were to collaborate Mm -hmm. or partner on some level, then it would make both of their rise at a higher rate or at least move things forward. So absolutely, that's what Health Connect South is all about. It's just saying, hey, we're here. This is what we do. This is who we can help. This is why we're important to our healthcare ecosystem. And as we got to talking at the Small Business Expo, Dana, you mentioned the fact that you come from a background in nursing, which I share, yes. Charles Hall, male nurse. and
1: <laughs> I was excited to learn that. That's right.
0: <laughs> and you mentioned the fact that now you focus your energy in clinical research and obviously here on the Health Connect South radio show over time, we've hosted several research organizations, the Global Center for Medical Innovation. So obviously research, there's there's a, a fairly robust research community in the Atlanta area, many companies that are on the grow yes, trying to develop something. And that's one of the places where you come into play.
1: Absolutely, um, you know, you're you're absolutely correct, CW. In terms of Health Connect, um, shares the same motto and trying to that we do and trying to connect and collaborate with others in the healthcare community, particularly as it relates to clinical research. And I know many people will hear on the radio advertisements if you want to be in a clinical trial, if you have this particular ailment or disease entity. Then call us. And so that's what they know about research. But what many may not know is that oftentimes this is where the standard of care is developed. This is where new treatments and medical devices are developed and it becomes a part of our care. And there's been quite a few clinical trials that I've participated in over the years. And I've been able to see the drug or the device on the market and being used today. And you have too, because you, your background's cardiovascular, right? Mm-hmm. Nursing. So you know thrombolytics. Mm-hmm. I was a part of that thrombolytic crew, helping to develop that.
0: <laughs> wow, that's awesome!
1: Yeah, so that's been around for a while. That that's one of the most exciting things I've done in terms of and the cardiac side.
0: Now, if you're listening, and most of the people that are going are going to be familiar with healthcare topics, but if you're if you're listening, thrombolytics are drugs that will actually dissolve a clot. So. Typically, you're going to use that in strokes or possibly like pulmonary embolisms, Um, sometimes a heart attack. Mm -hmm. But that'll actually help dissolve that clot and open the blood flow back again in many cases and be able to minimize the damage that's happening downstream from that blockage. So they had to, I'm sure the trials were probably pretty rigorous for those.
1: It was. um, I remember clearly because I was working for Emory um, at the time, Emory Midtown. And um, it wasn't just a study that was done. At emory university it was a global study so it was worldwide and so this we were able to have a sampling population from all around the world who would benefit from this treatment and that's what research is it's you know it's trying out new drugs new devices to see if we can find a cure or a treatment to help whatever the disease entity is so it's exciting
0: i think that for the people that get to participate in the studies, those can be life-changing because sometimes you're getting access to obviously something cutting edge, something that is, we'll say experimental, but mm-hmm. um, somebody has identified the possibility of a solution for something that up to now has been challenging and all of a sudden, boom.
1: Yeah. You, I mean, you said it so well. Um, think about it this way. It's like you had first line access, to something that's not even on the market yet. I mean, and who doesn't want to be first in line for something that could be helpful? Mm-hmm. And, um, and it is cutting edge. And we do have a huge research community right here in Atlanta. Um, you know, if you look at the, on the academia side, we have Emory University. If you look on the um, government side, we also have the CDC and the American Cancer Society and other research organizations and pharmaceuticals right here in Atlanta. And of course, my company, Austin Clinical Research Professionals. And talk a little bit more about the clinical research professionals. Austin Clinical Research Professionals, we've been in business since 2011. We conduct clinical trials, mainly focusing on a population who's affected greatly by hypertension and diabetes, which is just plaguing our nation. And so we provide access to clinical trials where patients can participate, get free medical care, free access to follow-up and medication for their disease management. So we saw a huge spike and our enrollments in these type of clinical trials during the time of ramping up of the Obamacare because many people didn't have health care. And you didn't realize until they came in to see you and they said, well, I haven't seen a doctor in two years. And then here they are. We were able to offer them participation and clinical trials to help them manage their care.
0: So how long were these studies typically going on at a time? If I were participating, how long and what kind of commitment was I making time-wise usually?
1: Sure. Good questions. The time commitment to the clinical trials will vary. For example, if someone was participating in a seasonal allergy trial, that's going to be short term, usually about three months and the frequency of the visit will be will depend on the treatment um however when we're looking at studies like diabetes and hypertension that's usually at a minimum a year and they're coming in at least once a month um mm-hmm. uh, maybe more on the at the beginning of the trial and then certainly we follow them if there's any other concerns too so it's going to flow a lot like a physician's visit would oh absolutely i would say it flows definitely much like a physician visit but more in depth care. Yeah, it's like it's the best care you can get in terms of, um, you know, participating in clinical trials because you have, you usually have the primary doctor, which we call the investigator. You have also access to sub investigator, other doctors, and you have the study coordinator, the nurses, and you may have an educator that's teaching you how to manage your diabetes and di- a nutritionist, where it's not always that comprehensive when you and the just general public for care.
0: So with Austin clinical research professionals, where do you fit into the study? Are you are you are you providing the space in addition to the professionals? Because I, I understand, depending on what we're talking about, mm-hmm. developing. Mm-hmm. Uh, where they talk about clean room and yeah. things like that, are we talking about the whole facility the whole shebang? or are you just providing the the research technologist and scientists that you need where do you, where Where does that cover
1: well we we actually fall into a few realms um, on the clinical research side. If someone wanted to start clinical conducting clinical trials but they do not have the training or the expertise, that's when they can come to us Austin clinical research professionals. We provide that training. We make sure that their training is in alignment with the government, the FDA requirements, and also the International Conference of Harmonization, which is an international guideline for conducting trials. So we do those types of trainings online and also in-house for individuals or corporations. And then, of course, you know about continuing education units yeah. and um, CMEs, CEUs and CMEs. So we offer those. So that's how you, someone wanted to get involved in clinical research we offer those services. Along with that, um, we do auditing. So if they're already actively involved in clinical trials and they want to have their studies independently audited, which most of their standard operating procedures will require, we we also audit. And so they want somebody coming in to look at their study who has absolutely nothing to do with it and can be objective. Right. Mm -hmm. Is there some sort of a certification process
0: involved with being an auditor so that, you know, It wasn't my friend Betty down the road. We're good buddies. And she came over and took a look and she said,
1: thumbs up. Well, you know, I'm sure Betty could get the job done too, but it would be helpful if um, Betty was a certified clinical research professional, okay, and and I am as well, or if she was a a certified clinical research associate. And so there's several different research organizations that offer these certifications. There's one called SOCRA. There's called one called the DIA. And there's also one that has the exact same acronym as me, ACRP. Um, so all those are available and they meet the industry strand standards for certifications. And so how many studies are you able to
0: support at a given time? Is it is it, are you scalable or do you have kind of slots that studies need to kind of vie for in sure. terms of bandwidth?
1: Well, um, we are scalable in terms of conducting clinical trials, and we're also selective. So every study that comes our way, it doesn't mean that we're going to actually accept it. We consider several different factors. One, we look at, do we have the patient population? The the other thing that we look at is um, the benefits versus the risk. You know, we want to be sure that there's a greater benefit for our patients participating in these type of studies. And then we also look at the time commitment. Mm-hmm. So all of that plays a role in it. And um, if everything lines up, then we usually move forward. Now, w- with the studies
0: that you've been a- able to be a part of over time, mm-hmm. were you able to see yourself? I mean, h- how how effective did you find that the involvement? of a patient in a clinical trial in terms of their commitment and compliance with a Mm regimen versus that's one of the challenging things, you know, previously uh, before this uh, new career um, (laughs) I was part of a medical practice Mm -hmm. and it focused on um, chronic wounding Mm -hmm. um, and hyperbaric medicine and both of those to get them healed. The patient does have some measure of responsibility. You got to stay off of it. That's some of the, some of the, simplest but most challenging things mm-hmm. for them to do um, pressure relief things like that so we saw how often compliance with a treatment regimen could impact them negatively mm-hmm. how do you see I'm I'm now involved in a clinical trial do you find that the patients that are involved with those clinical studies do a pretty good job of doing what they need to do you see what I'm saying doing yes. their homework
1: yeah well you know I think that's gonna that's that's gonna be pretty much based on their level of commitment. But on from the onset, CW, what we try to do is to screen and select the right patients. Mm-hmm. And um, one, those who have the time and can make the commitment, those who have an interest and could benefit. So if we can see all of those factors lining up, then those are patients that we would approach. And compliance is huge because if they're not compliant, and we have a huge number of non- right. non-compliance. Yeah. Then that affects the data. It
0: certainly does. It'll skew your outcomes significantly.
1: And the um, dollar value that's placed on conducting a research trial a day is right. in the millions. So that you know, lost lost time, lost compliance is lost revenue, and um, you just can't make that up. Now, when you're
0: taking part in a clinical trial with the Austin Clinical uh, Research Professionals, h- how much of the responsibility of securing the participants falls to you? Mm-hmm. Is that divided or is that the responsibility of the group that's tr- trying to conduct the study? How does that flow?
1: It's, it's actually a collected effort. Um, our principal investigators, which are our physicians and sub-investigators, um, which are usually physicians and sometimes nurse practitioners and so forth, uh, they help to identify the patients. Number one, they're part of the practice. And if they see someone that would actually benefit and they know their history, they'll approach them. But we also have outside resources for recruiting patients that are not a part of the practice. So we use that kind of same level of um, scrutiny, if you may, to try to see if they would be suitable and compliance. But I would say it's better to use those from your practice um, because you have a greater you, got, you know, you have a connection. It's sure. a relationship. Yeah. And you ask, what role do I play? I think one of the greatest roles that I play in terms of keeping our clinical studies on point is building a relationship with the patient. Because people will want to work with you if they know you and they feel comfortable. And, uh, you know, we call. We call for birthdays. We call for... Um, <laughs> patient appointment reminders, and um, we call if there's some new findings that we need to relay. In other words, there is a relationship. And as a matter of fact, I had a proposal from one of our patients. (laughs) Apparently, I didn't know it was a proposal, and he reminded me that it was. (laughs) (laughs) From what I understand,
0: the acquisition of participants in a study is one of the places that ends up can can be one of the more expensive elements, trying to get the word out Mm -hmm. that the study is going on just so you can secure the numbers that you need. Absolutely, statistical and, significance.
1: And if you you know if you think about the time frame, so if we're doing a study for a year, usually the enrollment period might be three to four months, and then you're following up the remaining of those months, about eight months. If if it's a study, you know, set up and designed that way, um, so recruitment is crucial. The timing of that is crucial. Retention is crucial. So um, there's usually other incentives for patients to. Continue on in the study. Aside from the healthcare, we tried to at least give them some type of a stipend for right. their time. Yep. And um, it's certainly not paying them to be in the study because that's not you know something legally right. can be done. But it's just yeah, saying it's a few dollars, hey, right? Here's yeah. something for your time. And there's different phases of study. So if they're in a phase one study, which is inpatient, um, their stipend looks significantly higher than if it's an outpatient phase two or three.
0: And have you been able to see a number of people really I mean we're talking about obesity and and diabetes and mm-hmm. hypertension are you are you seeing through the, the participants some of these people actually changing their lives?
1: I have seen a significant um, change and you know in a positive direction in terms of the lifestyle, mainly because they were educated. you know, they learned that you know these are the calorie, contents of what they're eating or purchasing. They learned that, you know, fast food wasn't the greatest for them when they're diabetic and how to make these choices. So they did that either with our dietitian or someone that would go out and shop with them. Um, so we have seen some improvements. Is there room for more improvement? Oh, yeah. Especially, after, you know, after the holidays. <laughs>
0: I've been talking with Dana Austin, CEO and founder of the Austin Clinical Research Professionals. And as we've been talking about, there's a number of opportunities out there in the community for folks uh, to participate themselves or their loved ones may be dealing with some sort of uh, challenging illness, whether in this case we're talking about things like diabetes and hypertension, but also there's a number of clinical trials going on around the state for cancer treatment, for example, of, of different types that are available within the city and, mm-hmm. and in other communities um, elsewhere as well. And so for, for somebody who Maybe they hear one of those ads. How do they? How do they go about it? Is it just simply making a call? How do they? Mm-hmm. Do they go through a little screening process? I guess a questionnaire kind of thing.
1: Yes. If someone hears an ad on Radio X, for example, or even some of our other broadcast um, networks for a clinical trial, they can do one or two things. Usually, they provide a phone number or a website, and they can go. They can call that number or go to the website, and there's a screening on a, usually the website to say. Um, do you meet these criteria? And if so, then someone would contact them. But there's other entities that they can check out for available clinical trials in their area. Um, the C—I'm sorry, National Institute of Health, so NIH.gov. They'll tell you the trials that are going on that are government supported in your area for that particular disease entity. And I, you mentioned cancer, and I've worked across the board in terms of clinical trials, but one of the most exciting one was one working on prostate cancer. And this particular product is on the market and it's called Provenge. Now I'm not promoting the the drug, but it was exciting at the time because there wasn't anything that worked the way this did. And um, they actually would take a sampling of the patient's blood who was known to have prostate cancer kind of spin it down and, um, you know, separate it and then inject this Provenge and then three days later, give it back to the patient. So that would just really target those cells that had the cancer for prostate. And it was just phenomenal. So, I mean, there's so much excitement around research and the um, the developments that come out of it. So
0: you're saying that in this case, the cancer cells would either be, they have a receptor or whatever the case may be, that would make them susceptible, but the rest of the normal cells either be not affected or at least very much less so.
1: Absolutely. And, you know, I remember growing up in high school, I used to play this game called Pac-Man. Yeah. Okay. I was like a Pac-Man addict. (laughs) And um, I'm sure part of my investment is right there in that machine. So if you looked at Provenge this particular treatment for prostate cancer, it was pretty much just like that. And it would only go after those little dots. And if we just said the dots were um, cancer cells for the prostate area, it just went after those. Mm. And you can, you know, they have videos and stuff online. You can look and see how it works. It's just fascinating. That's one aspect of research of where we can just see so many breakthroughs. and, um, and, And I just believe that knowledge is power. Training is essential. And then we one of our models is keeping you current keeping you current and the research industry of what's going on what's required by the FDA and the trainings that are required that they're that are met so who
0: in the community out there either academic research or whoever the case may be, who needs to know and interface with the Austin Clinical Research Professionals?
1: The um, individuals that need to know and network and align themselves with Austin Clinical Research Professionals are physicians, our principal investigators, are the study coordinators, which generally are also nurses, and um, research assistants, small pharmaceutical companies that are just starting up or biotech companies, and um, those who want to put on a program to train their staff collectively. Those are the ones who need to connect with us and we would hope you would.
0: And so even if, an organization is able to conduct their own research, and they don't necessarily need the the professional expertise that you provide mm-hmm. and, and facilities. If that's the case, you also, as you mentioned, are able to interface with them and provide support from the continuing education side.
1: Absolutely, absolutely, and collaboration. I mean, you know, like with Health Connect, we really are about collaborating and putting people together with the ones that would help move their program or their organization forward.
0: So. You were working in nursing in the hospital. Now, how did you end up moving into the research (laughs) side of things?
1: Oh, my. Um, I was working at Emory Midtown with the cardiologist, um, Dr. Doug Morris, who was actually chief of cardiology. And he was conducting a lot of clinical trials. And I was working in the coronary care unit, CCU. And so naturally, he would approach some of his patients that seemed like they would be ideal candidates and benefit from participating in the clinical studies. So that was my first exposure in a clinical setting, of course. I went to um, Emory University, so we had training and research there too. So that was my first exposure, and I really liked it. And I kind of moved from that role to becoming a study coordinator with him, doing the same thing, but directly with the patients and the staff. And training has always been a big element of what I do across the line in my entire career. So that's how I got into it. And then, you know, research has so many different facets to it that clinical research organizations, such as Quintiles or PPD or PRA International, they hire monitors to go out and to look at the data. And that's important because participating in the study is one thing, but keeping the patient safe is always gonna be the top focus. Mm-hmm. So mo- clinical research associates, monitoring the data, that's one a way of keeping the patient safe. Um, having an ethics committee, an independent review board that actually reviews the protocol and the changes to be sure that the patient is safe. And also of course the FDA, and good clinical practices. Those are some measures by which patients' um, safety is insured. Now, are you able to offer some consultation, if you will, on
0: the construct of a given study? I know that many times, if you look at different research studies that affected hyperbaric medicine, for example, mm-hmm. some of them came out and they were double-blind, you know, randomized <laughs> controlled trials that were the premise they were testing was wacky and tangential and therefore the you know for all the readers who just read the abstract mm-hmm. they see it was a randomized double blind controlled trial oh my mm-hmm. gosh he's speaking my one, language so it's a level She's... 1 study it's the the the, the <laughs> pinnacle of quality research and yet the 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 study was terrible um and in and, and and in fact, it, it it accidentally confirmed what we already knew. But um, the 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 impact of that poorly constructed study was that it affected a number of clinicians out there uh, in a negative way because they didn't understand this technology and this modality, mm-hmm. and so they read this study that that in a, in a sense was a negative mm-hmm. finding, mm-hmm. Uh, and it was it was poorly constructed. Yes. So all that to say. If you see some, you know, a study, if someone comes to you and they're they want to work on something, and I don't know where the elements are that they might go astray mm-hmm. on a given study like this, but are you able to say, hey, we see there's some weakness here that we might want to shore up so that when you get published or you mm-hmm. submit to that peer reviewed journal, you're you're much more likely to be received.
1: So it sounds like you're talking about the study design, yeah, and um, the study design is the driving force for any clinical trial, and having it set up properly so that it's going to measure. And even what the premise is that
0: we're trying to test.
1: Absolutely. That has to be clear and it has to be measurable and it has to be, you know, we're looking to ensure safety and efficacy and so forth. Not every study is set up um, to necessarily measure all of those properly. Okay. And so what it is, is not a really good use of their time and their resources. Right. And you're asking, is, is it something that we do in my company that can ensure that they are, the study design is accurate. I have been a part of protocol development, yes. But it's not something that we you know, usually do on a, it's not at the top of what we do. I see. Yeah, but I have been a part of it. I've also been a part of the monitoring of studies and changes need to be made along the way. So we can make recommendations and so forth. And usually it's the lead principal investigator of the study who would then initiate those changes. Safety is going to always be the driving force. So if it's not showing any uh, enough safety, they definitely would make changes. And certainly efficacy. If it's not effective, then they also look at making some changes midway. And that's where the ethics committee comes in. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Talking clinical research design and execution with expert on the subject, Dana Austin from the Austin Clinical Research Professionals. And for... The research realm, how does social media come into play these days? Does it make your life easier, make more difficult? Does it? How does it fit into this whole
1: thing? I tell you, I am learning to embrace social media a little bit more. Um, and it does come into play for several reasons. One, you can get the word out what your offerings are. You can also recruit patients. You asked about that earlier. How mm-hmm. do you recruit patients and retain them? You can say, we are participating in this particular type of study. If you have an interest, Reach back to us. Um, the only caveat that I would just want to put out there for the use of social media is confidentiality and privacy. Mm-hmm. So whatever, if you know, if you have a particular studies on diabetes and you're recruiting patients, you want the patients to be able to respond to you privately, sure, uh, and that it's not public. So that's really more of a HIPAA regulation, a privacy regulation. Um, so we are we have a presence on Facebook. We have a presence on um, Twitter. <laughs> we have a presence on LinkedIn. And uh, we could, I'll be starting to conduct periscopes next week for the clinical research community, community on Tuesdays.
0: And what will you be focused on on those?
1: Um, our focus for that on Tuesdays at 12 noon will be to the research community on some of the latest developments in research and some of the current findings in terms of requirements for trainings. So it'll be like little snippets and then participation from the research community. So it'll be interactive. I'm excited about that.
0: So I was going to say, will they be able to ask questions if they have any? Oh yeah.
1: They'll be able to ask questions. They'll be able to respond and offer information. So it'll be interactive and um, it won't be a complete training. It's just going to be more lighthearted sharing of information that will either lead to connecting others with the resources of what they need.
0: Well, I know, as you mentioned earlier in our discussion, that a, a large facet of what you provide to your clients comes through your website and in terms of the offerings you have. Your Some of your CEU and CME kind of mm-hmm. um, opportunities are available there. Tell folks where they can go to get linked up with those and then mention also your social media presence as well so folks can tie in with you there.
1: Thank you so much for that. Well, for the website, they can find us at www.austinclinicalresearchprose, and pros is p r o s dot com, mm-hmm. and then um, we can also be found on Twitter at Austin Clinical, and also on. Uh, Periscope at Austin Clinical. So I will be periscoping next Tuesday at 12 noon for the first time in the Austin Clinical realm to our research community. And so they can find us there. And then on LinkedIn, I am Dana Austin on LinkedIn. And if you
0: are checking out the show on the show page or on the podcast, rather, go, and you're on the show page, go to the upper left hand corner. You'll see the Apple logo that'll take you to the Health Connect South radio show podcast on iTunes and subscribe to us. That way, every week, you're downloaded with the new episode straight to your device. You're ready for you on your way to work, walking the dog, whatever the case may be for you. And we hope that you'll turn around and share the content of the podcast with your social media networks. Part of the thing that we're trying to do here is raise awareness and you never know, um, when that topic that you share might just be the the key for somebody that you care about and what they're working on that ends up being uh, help them move forward and make an advance that helps the overall community's health. So how cool would that be just for hitting share? So we hope you do that. Absolutely. And uh, Dana, I really appreciate the fact that you took some time to come in and talk about what you all are doing and how you're facilitating clinical research here in the community. And if companies out there trying to develop a device or um, they need to do some medication-related research, obviously mm-hmm. the, the research professionals at your organization will be happy to step in and help them do their thing.
1: Absolutely. We want to thank you for the, um, having us on today as well. And um, we believe in making a difference in our community and leaving it better than we found it
0: well i'm pleased to have gotten a chance to meet you and um and and also to be able to bring you here into the studio so we can talk about it a little bit more in depth than we did the other day absolutely and uh thanks so much for taking the time you're welcome (laughs) everybody out there thanks for making us a part of your day today we'll make sure to see you all same time same place next week we'll see you then